everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've tuned in. The few weeks bridging 2019 and 2020 have been a little chaotic. We've seen impeachment proceedings in which lifelong Foreign Service members have been thrown under the bus. The president has brought us to the brink of war with Iran, citing questionable intelligence. It feels difficult to remember a time when our foreign policy felt stable and cohesive. There was plenty to debate about the Obama years, but there was a strategy for foreign policy then, and competent officials were at the helm. One of those people was Susan Rice, who served as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations from 2009 to 2013, and as U.S. National Security Advisor from 2013 to 2017. In her new book, Tough Love, she admits to and recognizes that the decisions the Obama administration made weren't always perfect. There were a number of failures, in fact. But she also writes candidly about the desire and the aim to do the right thing and how public officials should own up to and learn from their mistakes. Rice is going to be in town this weekend for the Detroit Public Library author series on Sunday at 2 p.m. at the main branch on Woodward. That event is free and open to the public. And Susan Rice joins us now to talk about what she will talk about on uh, Sunday here in Detroit, and to talk about her new book, Susan Rice. Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Great to be with you, Stephen. Yes, great to have you. So I want to talk about your career and your book, of course, but I want to start by asking you about some of the things that we see going on today. And I want to start with impeachment. Tell me what you were thinking as you watched the impeachment hearings in the House and the things that were said by and about witnesses such as Marie Yovanovitch, William Taylor, and George Kent. This was, in some ways, uh, our intelligence community and the sort of dynamics that unfold among members of our intelligence community on display in the public in a way that we don't often see. Well, Stephen, the people you named, Ambassador Yovanovitch, uh, Mr. Holmes, uh, Colonel Vindman, Fiona Hill, these are extraordinary public servants, mostly career servants who are apolitical. They they don't serve Democrats or Republicans. They serve the nation consistently over many years, decades in some cases. And they do so because they love this country and they want to do their best to advance our interests and our values. I worked for 20 years uh, with individuals like these, um, and I saw their professionalism, their dedication, their skill, their humility. Most of these people had no expectation of ever being in the public eye, much less on national television uh, for an impeachment inquiry and having their integrity and their uh, commitment to their duties, you know, viciously maligned by the president of the United States and those around him. Mm. So I hope the American people will see what I've known for many years, having had the privilege of working with these people, that we are blessed as a nation to have in the civil service, the foreign service, the uniformed military, the career civilians who work at the Defense Department and in the intelligence community and in law enforcement, and of course at state and USAID, extraordinary talent, uh, compassion, decency, and a commitment to serve 
apolitically this country. Um, and even when they are under the most extreme public pressure, uh, they've held up with dignity and grace. Um, we are very fortunate to have public servants like them. Mm. Uh, of course, most administrations take the approach of trying to protect those civil servants, particularly in the intelligence community, from political criticism. This administration has taken the opposite tack. And I think, of course, that's taken lots of people by surprise. But I wonder for you, as somebody who's served in that community for for such a long time, what your personal reaction is to the way in which the Trump administration and the president himself have kind of changed the game in terms of how presidents deal with the the sensitivities that surround people who are in that community. Well, I'm outraged. I'm angry. I'm saddened. Uh, you know, first of all, let's hope that they haven't changed it permanently. That this is this this denigration of the career uh, public servants um, who have served apolitically, Democrats and Republicans in the past, is an anomaly. I really do hope so, because we can't function as a nation and a government. We can't lead in the world and protect our security and advance our interests without these talented experts. They are the cogs and the uh, machinery that undergirds any political uh, administration. And they have the knowledge, the institutional knowledge, the years of experience, the relationships, that make things work. And it's not just in the intelligence community. It's, as I mentioned earlier, it's also in the State Department and the, and the Defense Department and many other agencies of government. But it's also the same on the, on the domestic side of the U.S. government. Um, we have these apolitical career public servants who know how to make the trains run on time. And if they're not able to do their jobs without fear, without interference, you know, everything from our tax refund checks uh, to our passports uh, to our ability to be protected and supported when you lose a loved one overseas will be lost. Mm. These are the people who do the business of the American people every day. Mm. I, I want to change the subject just slightly to the escalation of tensions with Iran. Uh, first, what did you think as you saw all of that unfold? What I thought, above all, was that a decision to kill Soleimani, who obviously was somebody that I knew from the many years of work I've done, had you know American blood on his hands in great quantity. He was a, a horrible human being. But my concern was with the strategic wisdom of whether or not to kill him and kill him on Iraqi soil. Uh, and my judgment was at the time, and it remains, that this was a strategic blunder that's going to cost the United States uh, mightily, and that the consequences and the costs will far outweigh any benefit of you know, the president's good feeling that he took a bad guy off the battlefield. Mm. Let's begin with the fact that there clearly has not been evidence presented to justify the administration's initial claim that there was an imminent threat. Uh, to American personnel in our embassies. We know the Iranians and the uh, Quds force of the IRGC are constantly surveilling us, plotting, looking for opportunities uh, uh, to um, 
attack the United States if if they have a reason to do so. That's, there's nothing new about that that's been going on for many, many years. Um, but the administration has been utterly unable, um, and not just unwilling, I believe unable to present credible, concrete evidence that there was an imminent threat. Mm-hmm. Secondly, by making the decision to kill him on Iraqi soil, uh, what they have done is shifted popular and governmental opinion in Iraq, which had been building in a very hostile way towards Iran in recent months, and shifted that hostility towards the United States. Now the Iraqi parliament has voted that we should leave. Um, The prime minister has called upon the United States to send a team to plan for our departure. Um, The pressure on us to leave Iraq before the job of defeating ISIS is done, and on terms that are not favorable to us, but actually fulfill Soleimani's dying wish of pushing us out of Iraq is uh, is now likely to occur and with great detriment to our interests. We had to suspend the fight against ISIS uh, for, for some weeks. It seems to have begun to resume, but how much we can prosecute that battle with the freedom of movement and, and uh, the, the flexibility that we did in the past remains a big open question. Hmm. And the Iran nuclear deal, which was on uh, very fragile legs, uh, has has all but collapsed into uh, disarray. And the Iranians are now, without any constraint, without any reason to hold back, pursuing their nuclear ambitions unconstrained. Whereas before 2018, when the president unilaterally, President Trump unilaterally withdrew from the Iranian nuclear deal, we had their nuclear program in a box all pathways to a nuclear weapon cut off, uh, robust inspections, and, uh, and, and every assurance that we would know if they tried to sneak towards a bomb. Uh, so so all of those things have added up to be detrimental to our security and our interests. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about your book and your talk here in Detroit, but before we get there, I've got one last question about this. The Trump administration says the Iran nuclear deal never worked, that Iran from the beginning violated the terms of the deal and that it was still inching closer to having a nuclear weapon uh, uh, even though the deal was was in place. How do you answer that? As someone who helped broker that deal, do you subscribe to the idea that that the Iranians never uh, never adhered to, to the terms that they said they would agree to? Well, actually, first of all, that accusation is demonstrably false. The Iranians were adhering to the deal. Uh, They even adhered to the deal for a year after we violated it. Uh, And it was only, uh, you know, earlier in 2019 did they start to uh, begin to violate the deal. Look, the U.S. intelligence community, the U.S. Defense Department, the International Atomic Energy Agency, all of those entities validated repeatedly that Iran was adhering to the deal. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Trump administration's objection was not so much that the Iranians weren't adhering to the deal. It's that they thought it was a bad deal in the first well, place. Well, they said that. Which That's I, right. again, disagree with. Uh, they, they felt that because, uh, you know, elements of the provisions of the deal um, sunsetted in 15 years, that because that was the case, it was a bad deal. Now, mm-hmm. here's the reality. Uh, first of all, the nuclear deal that we negotiated in the Obama administration prohibited Iran from ever acquiring a nuclear weapon and maintained the most intrusive inspection regime in perpetuity. There were elements of the uh, of the of their constraints on their enrichment that sunsetted in 15 years. But here we are. 
not even five years later. And because the Trump administration has pulled out, they are completely unconstrained now and are able to uh, to pursue far more nefarious uh, developments in their nuclear program than would ever have been the case under the deal. Okay, let's talk about the, your book, Tough Love, my story of the things worth fighting for. Uh, I love that title. Uh, talk about, <laughs> I always ask authors, where did, where did you come up with the title? Well, uh, Tough Love, um, to me, means loving fiercely, but not uncritically. Mm-hmm. And that's how uh, I was raised by my parents. My parents were uh, extraordinarily uh, accomplished individuals who, you know, came from uh, humble roots and uh, were able to, to excel professionally and to give me and my brother uh, extraordinary opportunities. Um, but they were tough on us and, you know, loving and kind and supportive, uh, but also willing to tell us straight to our faces when we were not doing uh, what we should or not doing our best. That's also, frankly, how my husband and I have tried to raise our two young children, uh, now not so young. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's how I've tried to, to lead teams in government. I've tried to be candid with colleagues who I think uh, have uh, huge potential but may not be fulfilling it. And that's the kind of feedback that I benefited from as a young professional uh, in the White House and the State Department early in my career, where, you know, I had fortunately mentors and friends who, who told me tough things that I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And then, frankly, Stephen, it's also how I've tried to serve our country. I love this country fiercely. I believe in it deeply. But I also know we're not perfect, and we've made real mistakes, and we'll continue to make mistakes, and we've got to own them and acknowledge them and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how we become better. So tough love really embodied many aspects of my personal and professional love. Life and um, the the subtitle, my story of the things worth fighting for, uh, is really uh, what has undergirded uh, my career. I believe in you know deeply in fighting for family and fighting for education and fighting for equality. Um, and now, as it's under such attack, fighting for our democracy and our national unity, these are the the battles that have animated me uh, throughout my career. Uh, what brought you on to Barack Obama's radar uh, as someone who ends up spending the entire presidency, really, uh, as, a, as a very close uh, advisor. What was that relationship uh, like and how did it develop? Well, it began in 2004 uh, when then state senator Barack Obama was running for the United States Senate. And I had served previously eight years in the Clinton administration uh, including at the White House and at the State Department as Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs. And in 2004, over the summer, I was working on the Democratic presidential campaign, John Kerry's campaign, mm. uh, as a senior foreign policy advisor. And Obama was running for the Senate. And a mutual friend, uh, former National Security Advisor Tony Lake, who had been my first boss in government, connected me to... Uh, uh, then State Senator Obama, so that Obama could be plugged into Kerry's foreign policy team and be able to make his own judgments about where he wanted to align with the policy of the, the nominee and where he might want to diverge. And so we spoke a few times on the phone. We met when he won in the Senate and came to Washington. That's really when I got to know him, both uh, personally and professionally. And he 
uh, asked me, you know, to comment on speeches and his his second book. Um, he asked me to uh, advise him on on various policy matters, and that's where our relationship began. And when he decided to run for president in early 2007, he asked me to co-lead his uh, have effort to build a team of external foreign policy advisors who could support and advise him. And I worked for him throughout his uh, his presidential campaign in 2007 and 2008. I was a, um, went on the campaign trail as a surrogate for him. I went on television. I also did the policy pieces and debate prep and all of that stuff. And that's how our uh, our relationship really deepened. Um, and I worked on the transition for him, and as uh, as he was beginning to to plan to take office, that's when he asked me to serve as his uh, UN ambassador at the beginning of his administration. Yeah, uh, my guest is Susan Rice. She's a former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, also served as national security advisor under President Barack Obama, and she's the author of a new book, "Tough Love: My Story of the Things Worth Fighting For." She is going to be in town here in Detroit. This weekend for the Detroit Public Library Author Series that will happen Sunday at 2 p.m. at the main branch on Woodward. It is free and open to the public. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and leave comments there, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Vernon in Auburn Hills. Vernon, welcome to the show. Very interesting guest. Uh, I'm just curious as to which Democratic uh, candidate she's leaning toward. But before we get there, she made a remark about the impeachment hearings that are that just went on with Maria. I believe her name is Vadanovich, the uh, uh, representative for uh, 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 the Ukraine. Yeah, sure. Uh, my my thinking is. Uh, the, what an honorable, wonderful person she is and whatever. And, the, and that's how she represented herself very well at the impeachment hearings. My thinking is, how could you represent Yugos, uh, the Ukraine for so many years, the most corrupt country in the world, and be oblivious to all the corruption? Mm. I mean, it'd be like being a mafia lawyer and not knowing what your clients are really doing. Mm. It's, it's, it's just beyond Vernon, me. I mean, yeah. she's not that credible. Well, Vernon, I, I appreciate the call and uh, and the questions. Uh, Ambassador Rice, Vernon, go ahead and, yes. and address that. Thank you for your question, Vernon. I, just to be clear, Marie Yovanovitch was the American, American ambassador right. <laughs> to Ukraine, not the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, the American ambassador to Ukraine. Uh, she was a, a career diplomat who had served 30-plus year, 30 years in the State Department. And indeed, the whole reason why she was so maligned by the Trump administration and targeted and removed is because she was zealous about fighting corruption in Ukraine. She knew how entrenched it was and how pernicious it was, and she was going after corruption. And because she was going after corruption, she was standing in the way of what now appears to be the Trump administration's scheme uh, to get the corrupt prosecutor general in Ukraine, former corrupt prosecutor general Lutsenko, to provide falsified dirt on Joe Biden in exchange now, we believe, uh, or it would appear, for her removal. So she was the, the 
big corruption fighter who was in the way of what appears to be, sadly, the president's corrupt scheme to extort false information from the Ukrainians holding up military and other aid to do so in exchange for them providing falsified information that he could use for political and personal gain against his presumed top rival, Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. As for who I am uh, supporting, I have not yet endorsed uh, any Democratic candidates. I think we have a strong field. I will be four square behind our our nominee. um, And I'm eager to see how uh, the early uh, stages of the campaign and the primaries and the caucuses play out. Yeah. I mean, Vernon had it a little uh, confused there as to what role Marie Ivanovich was playing. But but I do think his question about this idea of whistleblowing, right? You see something that's not okay. You see something that's not supposed to happen. The burden on civil servants to then speak up and say something is 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 one of the issues here, and it is one of the dynamics I think that's that we're seeing play out in this entire saga. Well, yeah, the whistleblowing, you know, as we've seen that those who came forward to to share in appropriate formal whistleblower channels what they saw and what their concerns were, these people now uh, have faced enormous. Uh, public pressure mm-hmm. and pressure from the administration that has, according to press reports, required that the whistleblower, you know, have security and protection. Uh, you know, there have been attempts to try to reveal his or her identity. It's really, um, it, it, it's chilling on the those career uh, public servants whose duty it is to step forward if they see something that's wrong or inappropriate or illegal. Hmm. Uh, before I let you go, Ambassador, I want to give you a chance to talk about what you will talk about here at the Detroit Public Library on Sunday. Well, I'm very much looking forward uh, to, to coming to Detroit to, to talk about tough love, um, in part because this book is both very personal as well as you know, one that deals with uh, my time in the Clinton and Obama administration. Mm-hmm. It is a story of family and of uh, coming from slave heritage on my father's side of the family and immigrants from Jamaica on the other side of my family. And what I have learned from that legacy and and how it has shaped me into who I am. And uh, my family actually has important connections to Detroit. My uncle, Leon Dixon, uh, my mother's brother, eldest brother, lived and, and worked in Detroit for, for many, many years as a, as a physician uh, who uh, served the community um, for 70-plus years. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up visiting Detroit and visiting my uncle Leon and my Aunt Val and, and my cousins there. Um, this was my mother's side of the family, the Jamaican immigrant side of the family. So there, there's something special uh, about my personal ties to uh, to Detroit, but also it weaves into the the story that I uh, want to share uh, on Sunday with uh, the audience, which will be about the the combination of personal and professional uh, experiences, challenges, lessons I've learned that um, that I hope will be valuable to others. 
Okay, Ambassador Susan Rice uh, will be here Sunday at 2 p.m. at the main branch of the Public Library on Woodward. It is a free and open to the public event. Uh, Ambassador Rice, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Yes. Up next, we're going to talk about the fact that there is no auto show in January and how it is affecting businesses here in town. And we want to hear from you. Do you miss the auto show? Are you used to trudging through the slow snow and ice to get down there and wondering what it will be like in June? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. 